the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, episode 99. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Good morning, Sandra. Good morning. How are you? Ah, I'm all right. I uh, didn't. I got up in the middle of the night, like 1.30 in the morning. I couldn't go back to sleep till about 4.30. Hmm. It's like, I think that moon, people were talking about that moon last night. I was like, oh, I slept fine the other night, the super moon, mm-hmm. but, not, but not last night. So I slept like a, like I was dead last <laughs> night, except that I had very vivid dreams. <gasps> yeah. The same for the night before last. You, uh, you were in my dream last night. Oh, okay. Keep going. <laughs> anyway, I had two solid nights of sleep. So yes, the moon uh, the super moons always seem to lull me to sleep. Rarely do mm. they keep me up. It's funny that you just said, I, I did vividly dream. I woke up from a nightmare screaming last night. Now that I just remembered it, that's why I woke up at one thirty. Mm. You were in it. Caitlin Schumacher was in it. We were doing Ooh. a seance. Oh, um, an old boyfriend was in it. Yeah. Lots of things were happening last night. Now, Okay. Um, I didn't, I didn't really remember that when I woke up until just now. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. That is interesting. Uh-huh. Nobody's dreams is, are interesting to other people. I know that. It's just kind of weird, like all the, how it all comes into your psyche, right? When you're, when you're asleep, the things that mm. you do or what I see online a lot comes into my brain, you know, from Instagram or something like images. Right. Yeah. Well, what else are you working on or what's going on in your world? Um, you know, I've had kind of a bit of, you know, I was awesome for lots of weeks. Yes, I do. <laughs> awesome is not always sustainable. Mm. Uh, and yeah, the last couple of days I've just been kind of, okay. I think, um, grief never seems to, never ceases to surprise me when it yeah. strikes, Right. Right. I'm sure you know that yeah. as well. Uh, over the it's not weekend, linear. It's not linear, yeah. No, and over the weekend, uh, I went to Houston to see my niece in a play. That was really fun. And then before we headed back home, stopped by my father-in-law's house one last time. So it was probably the last time for me, oh. definitely the last time for me to be there while there was still stuff in the house. By the time the weekend had completely passed, uh, my husband and his siblings had cleaned the entire house out. So there's nothing left in there now. Hmm. We're getting ready to put it on the market. Um, So yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was, um, it was emotional, not at the moment, but it was a latent emotional experience, I guess. It's like that residue, that kind of residue that stays with you after someone passes away, right? It doesn't. It may not hit you right then. Exactly, because it, it at, the, 
at the moment, you know, it was sort of like we were going uh, trying to decide what we wanted to take. Should we get a U-Haul? I was taking photos, you know, kind of in the moment. And uh, then, yeah, it just sort of hit me later after I got home. Yesterday was a rainy, cold day. I had things on my calendar that I was supposed to do, writing class, uh, uh, booster meeting, didn't go to anything, didn't do any of it. (laughs) Yeah. Took care of yourself. Yeah. I just needed a day. I think I needed a day. I needed a day to think about impermanence, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which, you know, is so funny to, because I just started off this conversation really about impermanence. Like how Mm -hmm. awesome is impermanent? Yeah. It's all impermanent, and it's not a thing that I like to think about much on it, if I'm being honest. Um, I took a picture of this. My father-in-law was a book collector, like like many of us are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he had some great – he had bookshelves all over his house. In fact, one room had, like, floor-to-ceiling bookshelves that he had installed in this room, and um, it had a ladder and everything where you could – climb up to the top of it. It's really cool. Oh, I love it. I can already see it. I know. I know. And, but then in his bedroom, he had a bookshelf and he had a lot of his recovery books in there, but he had this little piece of paper that he had printed out on the computer and laminated and thumbtacked with little arrows pointing down. And so it was like above a shelf pointing down that said books I haven't read yet. And I know. Sandra. Can I, I know. Cry already? I wow. know. I know. And I know because we will die with books that we haven't read yet. Mm-hmm. That is a fact. Um, mm. So, yeah. I love that he laminated that, by the way. I know. That's a man <laughs> after my own heart, Rat Russell. <laughs> I do have a laminator machine. I do love it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. And um, so that, and then, and then yesterday I did venture out for a moment and um, it was raining still, cold still, uh, but uh, the, a violent film song came on the radio, Blister in the Sun. I love that song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me go on. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Love that song. And I was approaching a stoplight. It had just turned red. I was slowing down, but I got so consumed with joy for that moment. I looked down to fiddle with my radio. I thought I was the first. I just saw the stoplight slowing down, assumed I was the first in line until I punk bumped a brand new Mercedes. Right in front of me. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's nothing like a little, uh-huh. a little uh, car, a little automobile transaction to snap you back into the moment, right? Yeah. Life on life's terms, <laughs> right in your face. And the woman gets out of her brand new Mercedes. She was a young woman, bless her heart. I mean, the look of sheer horror. She couldn't even speak. <laughs> It was like, you? 
the audacity on her face <laughs> that I had actually bumped mm-hmm. her brand new Mercedes. It was almost comical, almost. Her mm-hmm. eyebrows, she had those like, you know how everyone has those really dark eyebrows now? Everybody's paying attention to their eyebrows. Kardashian-like. Seems like a trend right now. Yeah. And her eyebrows were just in her face was just this, her mouth was shaped like an O and she couldn't speak. There was the homeless woman that gave me so much reassurance, right? I mean, it, it, this all happened at the same time, but you know, it was like probably literally 20 seconds, but it slowed down completely. Mm-hmm. This homeless woman was just saying, it's okay. It's okay. It was just a kiss. It's totally fine. It was a kiss. There's no damage. I, I promise you. There's no. She's telling me this as I'm rolling down the window. I can't oh, hear her, but I can see her mouth right. moving. I get out, and it, she was right. There was nothing. No scratch. No dent. No. Wow. No nothing. No nothing. Um, just a kiss. Just a kiss. Hmm. And then I start fumbling in my in my wallet for money to give to this beautiful homeless woman that just made me feel she was she was making me feel better about my day right right (laughs) it was pretty anyway it it just it changed my whole day and then ever since then I've kind of been on the upswing (laughs) so was the um was the eyebrow lady um receptive to that kiss interpretation she never said a word like no word ever came out really? of her mouth like no sound yeah she was spe- <laughs> rendered speechless <laughs> and then she just got in her car and drove away and then she just got her car and drove away <laughs> wow okay yeah that is good that deserves 20, 20 bucks whatever for that lady the the your friend your new friend I had no cash but i promise you that i'm gonna get some cash mm-hmm. and put it in my wallet and I'm going to look for her because I, I owe her something, even though I did tell her, thank you a hundred times. Oh, she was the mediator. She was that, that, (laughs) well, that ended well, Sandra. (laughs) I mean, right. I mean, that ended, that ended well. It really did. I mean, it was just, you know, again, I never, there's always a burning bush for me. There's never the universe does not send me subtle signals. It is just like, hello. Here it is. Wake up. Oh, well, then I'm glad, I'm glad that ended well, for sure. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so that's been my last few days. What about mm-hmm. you? Um, I wanted to share, there's lots to share, of course, but what I'm going to share about is from our last episode, or I think it is, I went to World Market, Cost Plus World Market, Mm-hmm. with Natalie over the weekend. And That's a winner, right? Okay. So I have not been in a world market in close to two decades. Oh, wow. Like since I, me and Steve bought a house together. Oh, so, so maybe like 18, 17, 18 years. And so it's just, it's in this, it's in center. It's like, we have one. I just haven't, I haven't been to it. I don't know why. So I made a date with Natalie so I could go get curtains for my living room because getting new curtains for my living room has been on my list for four years, Sandra. And I said, Mm -hmm. this year it is happening. And so I asked for help from my husband, which I know is always the first step. (laughs) But when I don't ask for help for anything, it's, I learned a lot this weekend, Um, but he was on board and he's going to help me with some hardware. And I don't know why um, window coverings freak me out, but they do. It's just something I'm not good at and, um, or haven't been good at. Mm. 
It's a commitment, that was on a mission. I guess. Yeah. It's like yeah. Couch or anything. measuring and just the whole, it's not in my wheelhouse. It's not something I can do other things around the house, but, but uh, window treatments. No, that's not my, that's not my thing. So, but I'm determined to get this off my list this year. It's getting done. <laughs> it's just curtains. It's actually more than that if I think about it, but anyhow, so I make a date with Natalie and we go to, she takes me to cost plus world market. And she's like, I go here all the time. How, my whole house is this. Like, how do you not, how have you not been here? I'm like, I don't know. I loved everything. I touched everything. I was like, Oh, I need this pink couch. I need this gold table. <laughs> like I wanted everything. <laughs> I need this rug. Um, but then we walked back towards where all the non-alcoholic beverages were. And you were right. It was like, just like a, a bevy of a whole wall. Mm-hmm. like up to the ceiling of like a warehouse wall, like just huge. Right. It's pretty so fabulous, many. right? <laughs> I was just so happy. Uh-huh. I know. Um, because they did have their rosé all day end caps everywhere in the store too. You know? Sure. Sure. Oh yeah. It's a big, it's a, I bought wine. I used to buy wine there too, because they would have deals and okay. you know, they, yeah, yeah. It was, mm-hmm. so but, the right next to the wine. <laughs> yeah. It's a great selection of non-alcoholic beverages. So it was so fun. So drinks and things. And then I got, um, I got um, some Thai iced tea, which I love. I got some bags for that and um, got some chocolate and we were, we were, that was all I, I needed there. So we walked out of there. I spent like 22 bucks. Natalie spent 22 bucks. <laughs> we were like Queens though. Natalie, I don't, she's, I think she's okay if I share this. She is the queen of the deal. Mm-hmm. They have coupons of coupons. She is the queen of asking. She just asks and she, and she gets like mm-hmm. wherever we go and upgrade in a hotel or this or that. She's just really good at asking for what she wants. I'm not so good at that. So she's, <laughs> we're at lunch and she was like, you're signing up for their rewards card and then you'll get this coupon. I go, no, no, I don't want to do any of that. I'm, I'm not for that. <laughs> you do get a good coupon though. She's like, get out your phone and shut up and do it. <laughs> So I did it, got my coupon, did the whole thing at the end. And it was funny that we ended up with the same total. And she's like, so you basically got this stuff for free. So you're Mm -hmm. welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There are certain places that, right. If you're going to go, you shouldn't go without the coupon. I mean, come on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They do send a good coupon. So that was good. So I have some non-alcoholic beverages that aren't just um, my soda stream because I was Mm -hmm. getting a little bored with what was going on in my household. So that was, uh, that was what I did this weekend, Sandra. Yes. Really, really nice. Yes. Solid yeah. endorsement for <laughs> World Market. Yes. And we did forget you, you touched over it, but they have an amazing selection of snacks and chocolate as well. Oh, yeah. They did. <laughs> Candy. Yeah. All kinds of goodies. I had to just yeah. go. I'm like, okay, I came here for this purpose. And now I have to walk out of here or I'm going to leave with that couch. So I got to go. <laughs> All <laughs> or nothing for me. I'm like, okay, I got to just get out. I have to get out. Um, do you have anything you want to share before we do the intro? I don't know. No, but still adding kimonos to my marketplace. Check in. Okay. Uh, that's about it. Okay. Oh, I'm going, by the time this airs, I will have already gone. I'm going to Daybreakers on Friday at Grace Cathedral in San Francisco, this beautiful church where I've gone before with Natalie and we're going to go dance our asses off. Um, with a bunch of gals from hip sobriety. Oh, that's so fun. 
I know. So I will report back about that after it happens, but I'm very excited. And we're going to stay the night in the city and hook up with uh, Sasha Corellis on Saturday. So that'll be very fun. Very fun weekend. Very fun. Sober outing. Um, but yes, let's get to our guest today. Um, yeah. Today, our guest is Mandy Manners. And she is a, she has a great name, by the way. Mandy yes. Manners. <laughs> and she is a writer and speaker on sobriety. She runs uh, lovesober.com with her sober BFF, Kate Bailey. And Love Sober is the hub for events, writing, Kate's coaching practice, and the Love Sober podcast for the sober and the sober curious. She also has a small business um, selling handmade mala bracelets, and I'll share that with you at the end here. Mandy has a background in arts, marketing, and events. She retrained to be an English language teacher when she moved to France in 2006 and spent 10 years working as a professor of business English at a French university. She is now transi transitioning into a new career to work supporting people in sobriety full-time. She's training as a recovery coach, which she will complete this year with the She Recovers Coach designation. She's also working to further develop Love Sober with Kate, and they're working on a book. She talks about that in the pod. Uh, more events, including wellness retreats in France and online courses. The first online 30-day sobriety Kickstarter program will launch soon. She lives by the sea in France and is a mother of two bilingual children, age 12 and 10, and one bilingual <laughs> of course. <laughs> you can find out more about Mandy on her website, which is lovesober.com. She's on Insta at Mandy underscore lovesober. Um, you can also find um, her at lovesober podcast. And for the malas that she makes, it's at malas underscore D-E underscore Royanne, R-O-Y-A-N. And you can look her up on Facebook too, under the Love Sober Podcasts. I think that's it. I think so. Yeah. I love our conversation with Mandy. Oh, one just quick mention, uh, sexual assault is mentioned. Oh, yes. So I don't know if we necessarily need to have a trigger warning because it's, we, there's not expounded on. It's just mentioned. Yeah, yeah. And if you're sensitive to that, we wanted to let you know that ahead of time. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Enjoy, Mandy. Hey, Mandy. Hello. Hello, guys. I can't say good morning. I can say good morning to you, Tammy, but it's not quite morning for you, Mandy. So, no, yeah, it's my day is done. T tell our listeners where we're talking to you from. Okay, so I'm on the west coast of France, so um, in between La Rochelle and Bordeaux. So, smack ban in, in, in wine country. <laughs> yeah, you are. Yeah, um, um, but I'm looking at the sea at the moment, so I'm actually facing the um, Atlantic Ocean. So. Oh, wow. Sounds yeah. lovely. How long yeah. have you lived there, Mandy? Um, 12 years. So oh my, my husband is French. We met in England. We lived in Brighton together, which is also by the sea. Mm. Um, and then I... I don't know. I had a, like a stressful job. We'll get to all that, but I had a stressful job and wanted to change. And I was like, let's move to France. And so we moved when I was pregnant with my daughter. Uh, I didn't speak French and um, <laughs> we've wow. been here ever since. Yeah. <laughs> and do you speak French now or do you get I do, by? yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Nice. Yeah. Wow, you have an adventurous <laughs> spirit, don't you? 
Yeah, I like to kind of make big changes. Uh, yeah, I've done it a few <laughs> times. <laughs> kind of, uh, it's becoming, I'm, I'm hoping that's it now because I'm, I love where we live now. I mean, we lived in the north of France for nine years in, in Lille, which is a, a great city when you're young. It's loads going on, lots of universities, um, but quite kind of gritty. Um, so yeah, I really miss the countryside. I grew up in the countryside, so now it's perfect for me. So it's really safe for the kids and yeah. Oh. How, how many kids do you have? Two. Two, okay. And what, yeah. are, the, what my, are their ages? So my daughter, Matilda, she is uh, 12 and a half. So she'll be 13 in December. Um, and my son, Albert, he is 10. He'll be 11 in July. Ah, so and, and so you're a mom, uh, uh, you say mum over there, is that mum? Yeah, mom. Okay, you're yeah. a mum. <laughs> um, <laughs> and how old are you, Mandy, just so our listeners can know? Uh, I am 38, so I'll be 39 in June. Oh. So yeah, I'm quite a, I was quite a young mum, so I had my daughter when I was 26. Ah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I was just uh, getting going like, then. Yeah, I was just getting, <laughs> ramping my, my, my social life up around this. Well, I was married, I but I was, I was getting yeah, ready to be part of, part of my kind of downfall, as it were, because uh, most of my friends were still, you know, partying hard. And I'd kind of thought that to get out of that, maybe I should be a parent. And um, mm. didn't really <laughs> didn't really work out as I planned. I didn't sort of automatically become sort of, the mature woman I wanted to be. Um, <laughs> well, let's get into that. that. Yeah, let's yeah. talk about that. That's interesting. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah so um, now, how we start out usually is just, yeah, sharing, um, you know, how you came to the decision to quit drinking and kind of what that looked like. It sounds like parenthood might have had a, had a role in that. I, I know I dabbled in that as well. Yeah, that yeah. might be the answer. But, yeah, share with us. Share with us your story. Yeah, so... Um, it's kind of a story in two halves. Well, probably about 17,000 chapters, but you know, I'll try to get, right. get it down to two halves. Um, so yeah, I started drinking, uh, like most teenagers in England when I was about 14. Um, I grew up in the nineties, so it was very much a kind of a very hedonistic period in British history. You know, we'd kind of had I won't get too much into politics, but I think it kind of was the same in the, in the US. It kind of been quite um, a right wing kind of um, long term government in place. Um, everything had been quite materialistic. Um, and so when we were young, we kind of we thought we were being rebellious and activists. But kind of looking back now, I, I think we just were being hedonistic like we just wanted to sort of party you just wanted yeah, to party. basically yeah. yeah just say kind of fuck you to the establishment um i'm allowed to swear i have sworn mm -hmm. so that's done um so yeah and i mean it, like when i got sober i thought i had to sort of um what was it be kind of uh what's the word be a girl guide or something and kind of completely separate myself from who I used to be. That didn't really work, but um, because I kind of felt like um, all that stuff was bad. Um, but now I look back and I just think, well, we were young and, you know, yeah, like I kind of wish I'd, I'd studied harder or I wish I'd, um, there's definitely things I wish hadn't happened, but, you know, I, I feel like I was kind of a product of my, 
culture and my time and um, I'm not going to take all that on my back anymore kind of thing so it was a great time I mean you know loads of music festivals you had the kind of Britpop thing you had you know Oasis and Blur and, and everywhere on TV was this kind of hedonistic uh, sort of uh, movement going on you know there's all these late night TV programs everyone getting completely wasted and that's just sort of was the model that I, I had. And I never questioned that there was anything wrong with that, you know. So uh, binge drinking at the weekends and, you know, pub culture in England is, is very important. Um, we kind of grow up going to pubs. Um, you know, you go with your family and then it's just a natural progression that you start drinking. It's really not something you, you question. Um, so can we, I, I have never been to London ever and so I have just one question and I think I understand the pub culture but it's more than just a bar right so yeah in the states we just have bars and you wouldn't bring your kids to the bar really um unless I don't know you may be in a small town or something but this is a different type yeah, of atmosphere yeah, well, yeah I mean kind of in the traditional setting of like a small town in, in England or a village, you would always have kind of uh, the pub, uh, the post office, you know, the little shop. And it's kind of a community space. So it's like everyone would go. I mean, it used to sort of be back in the kind of 1930s, I guess, would just be the men that would go in after work. Um, you know, to have a couple of pints or whatever. And then it became really uh, the social hub. Um, and what's quite interesting at the moment with what's going on in the sober kind of community is, is actually trying to attack that traditional base and go, okay, like, cause pubs are kind of dying, that, that community hub is kind of dying and it's like, okay, oh. let's, let's look at these spaces now. Um, but in a different way, because drinking's really gone inside now, you know, everyone's kind of doing a European drinking around the dinner table um, which is very closeted and, and can cause a lot more hidden issues. Um, and so it's kind of saying, right, let's, let's look at these places as being these community spaces for people, but make them accessible to everyone, you know, to Muslim communities, to uh, people that don't drink, to people that are pregnant, you know. So it's a very interesting angle of trying to make sobriety more acceptable acceptable in England so that's kind of club soda what they're doing right um, that's so interesting okay yeah so, so, sorry I had to yeah, interrupt yeah, yeah. that but keep going no no so um so it's and and British culture I think um has a very very long history with alcohol as a kind of um kind of a medicinal um tool I guess I mean like alcohol was given to soldiers after the second world war um so it's always been very important in in british culture i mean i think that's a bit different to the us i mean correct me if i'm wrong because we never had kind of prohibition or anything like that so there was never that shame about alcohol in england it's just like it's something everyone does you know you there was never your... morality attached to it like there was no. states yeah. right right yeah and oftentimes too alcohol was safer than water uh, mm, yeah so yeah and then um, interesting I mean if you go back right back uh, gin in England used to be called mother's ruin because it was kind of um, given to uh, women um, 
in kind I think it was in the sort of um, the 1800s or whatever and it became this thing that was like a big big problem in London um, and so now there's been this kind of revival of gin culture where you know and it's been massively targeted at mums and it's mm. really sadly ironic because it's like it, you know you even get kind of gin bars that are called Mother's Ruin and it's like right lest we forget why it was called Mother's yeah, Ruin exactly. there's a, that kind of irony I guess which does go into sort of British culture too you know that kind of ironic um self-deprivating de- kind of humor but yeah I mean the mummy wine culture in in England is is horrendous but anyway so me drinking yeah I um kind of looking back I guess I had mental health issues as a, a young person um I certainly used alcohol to kind of calm my nerves um I used to get kind of socially anxious I was very loud and very kind of overtly confident but really shy uh very sort of uh, body shy very um very much a people pleaser mm. and so yeah I mean it was just what what everyone was doing you know and so we kind of used to do recreational drugs and and drink and and that was kind of our life um and I kind of then met my husband um then boyfriend who was French is French um and we kind of had this romantic uh, drinking culture between the two of us, which was, you know, lots of very nice red wine. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, I think it was two cultures that kind of uh, collided, you know, it's kind of my binge drinking culture and his kind of, you know, French refined drinking culture kind of (laughs) crashed. They drink differently in France for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. massive problems with alcohol in France, sure. but it's, it's definitely something that's done um, in kind of reverence, you know? So it's like, um, I mean, I grew up and I, I, I could not care less what I drank. I just wanted to get drunk. You know, it was like the yeah. cheapest thing that I could buy. We had no kind of pride about drinking. It was just like, you know, the cheapest cider or, mixing it with disgusting energy drinks or whatever whereas quantity yeah 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 yeah. quantity whereas um uh, the french very much are you know you drink different wines with different food and it has that kind of elegance to it it's more discerning Um, yeah Yeah. Uh, so i tried to do that but i i wasn't very uh (laughs) um and um and so i i got i put on quite a lot of weight I think I went, I don't know it in uh, American terms, but I went up to about 12, 12 and a half, 13 stone. So that's kind of like 76 kilos, I think it was. Um, you'll have to work that out in pounds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot, a lot more than suits me uh, for my height. Um, and so I decided my husband and I, we decided to take a break from drinking. So we both quit drinking for a year. Um, wow. Yeah. And uh, just because I was like really unhappy with my weight and I just wanted a change. I had a really stressful job. So it's always been quite a catalyst for this kind of change in my life. Um, so I stopped drinking. So we're going back to 2000. 
2000 and um, 2004, I think. So it's like 24. So this um, was before, wait, this was, you had kids already. No, no, no. No, 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 before. no, no. Before, yeah, right yeah. before. So this, okay. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I quit drinking. I lost loads of weight. I was feeling really good. Um, and so I was like, right, let's quit my job. I know what will, will be good for me. Um, let's move to France and, you know, do, do something completely different. I was like, okay, my husband had been in England for about eight years, so he was kind of quite ready to go back to France. I'm like, right, let's do that and be grown-ups and have a family. So I was like, good, good plan. Um, and then he couldn't really uh, get a job, so I was like, okay, let's stay where we are in Brighton, but let's have a baby. <laughs> need to change, basically. Catalyst of change. Stop drinking, need to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got pregnant. Uh, and then my husband got a job and so we moved to France when I was three months pregnant um so uh I didn't speak French I didn't know anyone we moved to a town where we didn't know anyone um and yeah so then I had my son 19 months later um and I think when I had kids, uh, a lot of stuff that I'd kind of been hiding or not addressing um, from my past started to kind of surface. Um, and after I had my daughter and when I stopped breastfeeding, I started to you know, have the odd glass of wine again. Um, and at the same time, a lot of my friends didn't have kids so we were like what 20 yeah 26 27 um so I started I had this kind of separation of myself in the fact that you know at home I was a new mom on my own didn't know what I was doing um also a lot of sort of trauma stuff from my past was starting to surface I wasn't sleeping. Um, I was absolutely terrified that something bad would happen to my daughter. Um, and then on the other side, you know, my life in England, all my friends were still partying, you know, like it was 1998. So <laughs> what happened was that I would, I, I basically separated, like I would go back to England and I'd go on these mad kind of party weekends and feel like I was me again. And then I'd come back to you know, my family and I'd try to manage this unmanageable amount of anxiety and fear and, um, well, just babies, you know, just being a mum. So then I had my son and they were quite, so they've got 19 months apart. So I didn't have any support. I didn't have any family around. Um, My husband's family lived away from us as well. Um, and so, yeah, I started, I, I guess I started to drink more, um, at that point to kind of manage. Um, so it went from like, yeah, daily kind of drinking at home, you know, reasonably what everyone else was doing, I thought, <laughs> uh, and then these mad kind of crazy weekends away where I binge and, you know, do all the things I used to do before kids and then come back and have massive kind of guilt, shame, sure. um, spiral. Um, so it's like you're living two lives a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, this yeah. resonates and I with just, me. And yeah. the further I went down that, the further I lost 
myself. Like I just literally had no idea who I was. Like I, well, I knew who I wanted to be. Like I wanted to be a good mum. That's all I wanted to be. But I just had no idea of like how to make that leap into adulthood. Like I was kind of stuck in, yeah, stuck in the kind of kid adulthood, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And we lose our identity anyway, or we grapple with our identity once we have children. Um, yeah. It's no exactly. surprising. It's not surprising that that happens, but then, right. If there's alcohol in the mix or if we are slowly becoming addicted, it just confuses everything. And yeah so I kind of um mucks it up yeah Yeah, and like at that time kind of social media was uh was sort of growing and starting so I was kind of living my life quite vicariously through you know Facebook and Instagram was kind of starting I guess a little bit but I kind of I was really really homesick I think looking back um Mm. and uh, when I I think the, the kind of the catalyst of the downward spiral was when I turned 30 and um, my parents that year they moved from my where I grew up uh, back to London because they'd retired and they were like right you know rather than sort of staying in this small country town where we'll just fester and won't have anything to do let's you know go back to London they're both from London originally you know we can have um, free sort of entry to all the museums you get all these things when you're an older person in London, uh, free transport, free, you know, sort of discounts for everything. So, and that really threw me to sort of lose that contact with my hometown and where all my friends have been. And, you know, I was very, very, very close to my friends in the UK. Um, and, and also everyone was having these crazy kind of 30th birthday parties. Um, I'd gone back to work. I, um, was, massively achieving in my job I kind of it was completely random I I met my husband met an Irish woman in a a Chinese restaurant uh, picking up Chinese and she worked in a very um, prestigious business school and he sort of said oh my wife's a you know a teacher and she was like oh great well you know um, send me her CV so um, I got a job working in the third most prestigious business school in France um, and then I got another job in a, another school so I went from kind of being a stay-at-home mom with no identity kind of drowning in nappies and drinking lots of wine to being a in front of 18 19 year old gorgeous intelligent uh, young people who thought I was hilarious and loved me. Um, and I was back in high heels and going to the bar after work, you know? So all that kind of fitted with the old me. So mm-hmm. it kind of consolidated this like rejection of, of who I really wanted to be, which was just a good mum. And so I, I, I got a permanent position, became a professor um, in the university. Um, and yeah, it was just going to the bar. I'd go to the bar after, after work with my colleagues, um, click clop in my heels, uh, run to go and grab the kids, be a little bit tipsy, um, you know, from my couple of beers after work and then go and get the kids. And then, you know, that kind of interim moment where you're like, I'm not going to have another drink. 
it's like oh now I feel kind of rough so I just open you'd have to get through yeah because you have to get through the baths and all of that exactly so just have another glass of wine to kind of get me through sort of bedtime Um, my husband used well still does work away a lot so I was often on my own I still am um and and I wouldn't eat um because I was like obsessed with staying thin um obviously drinking loads of wine you know um (laughs) but I wouldn't eat and so I would just sort of be exhausted you know I'd sort of get the kids done put them to bed had no energy left um by the end of the evening and then finally kind of get them in bed and then sort of sit down and and finish the bottle that I'd opened you know um and yeah and kind of that carried on and I eventually um had a I think they now they would call it a uh, burnout but uh old school terms I think you call it a nervous breakdown um so I got very very ill um with depression um very very stuck in that kind of um cycle of um self-abuse really you know it's like I'm not going to drink tonight uh, oh I drank oh I hate myself oh I'm such a bad mom I'm such a bad person um I'm not going to do it again and then <sighs> you do it again you can't yeah. you can't stop it and unless you just stop it it's yeah. groundhog day it's groundhog yeah can't. exactly yeah Hey, Unruffled listeners, just popping in mid-show to remind you about our Patreon fundraising campaign. To date, we have produced over a year's worth of content and have over a quarter million downloads. We can hardly believe it. If you like what you've been hearing, you can be a patron of this show for as much as you'd like, even if it's just a dollar an episode. To donate, please go to www.patreon.com backslash the Unruffled podcast. Thank you for your continued support of the show. Now back to it. So I, I had a, I kind of had a really mad summer and I, I kind of went cold turkey on everything. I gave, because I'd started smoking again, because, you know, that's rebellious and cool. Um, and I was drinking a lot and I kind of, come September, I stopped everything. Uh, and my, I think my body went into shock and I had a really, really bad panic attack. Uh, like well kind of like a psychosis event um it was horrendous like I thought there was blood coming down the walls I thought my kids were in it was awful I was sweating um and so my husband took me to the doctors because I couldn't really I mean I can speak French but I couldn't communicate all that uh, so I had to write down to my husband, like everything that I was feeling and everything that had been going on. Uh, and so my husband had to sort of tell the doctor. So it was just like, you know, my, mm. <laughs> yeah. I want to hug but you I right think, now. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if so, that was so, a bit, was that a bit of a, of a detox, you think? I th- I guess so. Yeah, I guess it was just, my body just was. I was so, I mean, I had severe insomnia. And your adrenals um, probably had just crashed out. Yeah. And, um, and so, I mean, there's like a lot more to kind of the story. I mean, I had uh, two major traumas when I was kind of 18. Um, I uh, went traveling with a friend and I got um, attacked 
uh, and sexually assaulted or raped. I don't know. I don't really remember. I can't remember what happened. Um, and and then in that same year, I kind of fell in, in bed with a friend of mine and, um, and got pregnant and had an abortion. So the year of my 18 to 19 was was extremely traumatic um and i'd basically blocked all that and i hadn't spoken to anyone about it for 10 years like literally i i said to my friend when we were in mexico i said i don't i don't ever want to speak about this again and she bless her she never spoke about it so i kept all of this inside and so when i kind of had that you know that i don't know whatever it was like that breakdown uh, it all kind of came out. My husband mm-hmm. knew. I mean, and the only people that knew really were my kind of boyfriends throughout time. Um, and so he went to the doctor and he sort of said, you know, my wife, you know, doesn't want to live. She feels suicidal. She hates herself. She, you know, is uh, stuck in the, in this thing with with self-hatred, blah, blah, blah. And, um, around, around, I'm and, sorry, Mandy. Around what no, time that's okay. was, this, was this happening that your husband took you to the hospital? When was it? Yeah, just for time frame. Um, in 2013. So, okay. yeah, so my daughter was um, five. Okay. No, my daughter was seven and my son was six around that time. Okay, thanks. Yeah, and... Um, yeah and so luckily my doctor was is um a behavioral therapist as well as a pediatrician as well as a homeopath um and as well as a a dictologue you would say in french but uh, an addiction counselor so it was like I didn't know any of this at the time I always knew that he had a really long you had to wait a really long time in the waiting room um, <laughs> I didn't you really had the, you had the jackpot you know, yeah I know that's like, amazing. I mean French uh, mental health care is amazing um, and free um, yeah. and so yeah I like I think I mean obviously you girls go to AA and that's really important to you and I don't think I would have made it through if I hadn't have had sort of you know a therapist like that's my kind sure. of um, support um so he was like um if you if you're okay you know I think like you should come and start seeing me so I started going to see him at the beginning sort of once a week I go and see him for about an hour or two hours and did behavioral therapy. So we worked through a lot of things, a lot of things obviously to do with my trauma, to do with my mental health. You know, he put me on antidepressants um, with the kind of caveat that I saw him every week um, because they won't give you antidepressants without you having therapy alongside in France, which is really good. Um, That is good. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't happen um, here. I know. Yeah. I mean, the French, they complain about a lot of things a lot of the time. And I'm like, you have no idea like how lucky you are in terms of healthcare. Right. So, yeah. So I kind of, I work with him a lot and we work through loads and loads of stuff. Um, and I was still drinking at this point and, uh, it got to Christmas and interestingly, no one ever told me to stop drinking, which I kind of question. Um, they always, always, always said, 
you know, why don't you moderate, which I find incredible looking back. Um, and then I got to Christmas and I, I kind of had worked through a lot of stuff. I, my mental health had kind of stabilized and then realized that this was still a crutch, you know, and um, I remember very distinctly, I had my parents over for Christmas and, um, and everyone, we'd had quite a boozy kind of Christmas Eve. And then on Christmas day, everyone had kind of just stopped drinking after lunch. I was like, why, why they stopped drinking? Um, and I just was so angry and frustrated with everyone because I was just like, you know, it's because it become this kind of, it's a party, you know, <laughs> let's drink. Um, yeah, we're just getting of, started on Christmas. Yeah, like that's, and, yeah. And so I just kind of, every time I took one of their glasses back to the kitchen, I just sort of finished their glasses and I was like, mm, this is not cool. Um, and I didn't sleep that night and, um, and I sort of Googled in the middle of the night, as you do, you know, am I an alcoholic? Do I have a problem with drinking? And I came across uh, Soberistas, which is a site in the UK. It's actually worldwide. But um, Lucy Rocker, uh, who set it up, it's basically exactly the same as me. You know, grew up in the 90s, was kind of a ladette, kind of binge drinker, had sort of, you know, difficult time, got divorced, had a had a child had got into kind of mummy drinking at home and had stopped and had created this kind of forum site for women to talk about you know problems with alcohol without giving them labels or without kind of yeah sort of just being support basically um and so i wrote my first blog on there uh the 27th of december 2013 and then I stopped, completely stopped by March 2014. Uh, and I did about, I think it was a year and two weeks. And I had the best year, like everything got better. I quit my, <laughs> this is me doing big changes again. Quit my stressful job, decided that we should move to the seaside because that was my dream. Um, so we upped and moved like 700 kilometers to another place where we didn't know anyone, um, not drinking, mental health amazing. Um, I ran a half marathon. So I was like, this is brilliant. I'm cured. Uh, <laughs> that old chestnut. Yeah. <laughs> I can have, I can have a, a glass of wine again. And again, it was that kind of crisis of confidence you know I'd moved to a new place I didn't know who I was yet I hadn't identified and kind of built that sober self or it wasn't strong enough um and then I was in this new place meeting new people and I was just like oh, I'll just have a couple of glasses of wine just to fit in you know um and then spent sorry this is really long but I've nearly finished <laughs> um so spent a couple of uh years going back and forth this is kind of part two so you know my drinking wasn't depressive anymore it wasn't like on my own it wasn't blackout drunk or any of those horrendous things that it had been it was normal on the outside um apart from you know every three months or so when i'd get horrendously drunk and go oh my god i didn't think i'd do that anymore um and um but it was making me feel really really bad um 
in terms of my mental health and my mental health took a massive massive landslide downwards um so I went back to therapy I went back to kind of looking at my traumas looking at all that sort of stuff and went back and forth I think five times I basically would like stop after kind of periods of celebration so after Christmas where I wouldn't have any boundaries and so I drink all the time and get completely exhausted and then I'd stop for about three months and then I'd be like oh it's summer so I'd start again um and then in August 17th of August 2000 and hang on I gotta look at my dates because I'm terrible 2017 um we were on holiday in Spain and um you know summer for me is just drinking continuously like every day and it's exhausting and um so we'd been away we've been on holiday for a month we'd been had a lovely time but i was exhausted and um my husband and i sat down to have the aperitif so the drink before dinner uh and my son jumped in the swimming pool and hit his head on a kind of metal on the metal um cover and uh, split his kind of eyebrow open, massive blood. So he had to go to hospital in Spain, um, he had stitches. And that night, something just, I was just like, we hadn't been drinking, you know, I was, I was literally about to have a sip of red wine and that mm. happened. And it was just like, I, I'm done, I, I don't. Cause it's always that thing, it's like, well, nothing's bad's happened even though so many bad things had happened, but nothing's bad's happened, but it might. And, and I don't know, it just did something to my brain. And I was just like, I'm, I'm done. And um, I, don't, I just don't want that in my life. And I don't want the risk. And I don't want my kids having a drinking mom. And yeah, and so I just thought, right, I need to, I need to really work this again, but to create a life that I love sober. And that's why I started my Instagram. Cause I was just like, I need to connect with people and I need to make friends and I, I need to make a life that's sober, not just not drink in a drinking world, but actually like have a sober life, which I have now. So, <laughs> so there we go. That's my drinking story. So, so yeah, so it's nearly 18 months now. What do you think you attribute to like that back and forth part? Was it just because you couldn't imagine a sober life or I mean, what was the, the, what was the pull that kept you coming back to alcohol as opposed to just making the commitment? Yeah, I think, um, I think I still had a lot of work to do in terms of self esteem Mm -hmm. self-compassion like forgiving myself I still had a lot of blame um for stuff that happened in the past um I hadn't I wanted to be normal you know I wanted the thing the bad things that happened in my life I wanted them to have not happened and I wanted to you know numb it out and believe that like I could be a normal person and so a normal person to me was um you know, someone that drank every now and again. So it was really in that kind of, yeah, in that sort of idea of this person that I wanted to be, which was fixed. Um, and I, I had to understand that, you know, the things that, 
the messy bits of us are what make us wonderful, you know. So I had to kind of learn to forgive myself and love myself for everything, um, which was why kind of She Recovers was so transformative for me. Um, and kind of meeting women through Instagram and through different sort of sober groups. And, you know, it's like that misfits and oddballs and, you know, creatives and quirky weirdos, you know, that we are. Unite. I I love that, you know. (laughs) And it's like, those those are my people. I just hadn't found my people. And, you know, I'm so inspired by the, the women that I know. Um, who don't drink and you know amazing people that have done amazing things but they've got amazing stories to tell too and mm-hmm. I just hadn't found those people yet I think right you know? right F- found the people that made sobriety look good like something that yeah. you really wanted and also just that were you know were, were not normal I guess I mean whatever the fuck normal is I mean I, I don't actually know anyone that normal my husband's pretty normal but um <laughs> other than him I mean most of my friends have had complexities you know sort of um and that's why I I am kind of attracted to creatives or artists or because I think they are you know you can't you can't have that without having kind of yeah a bit of density to you and complexity and I, I love that about people um so yeah it was just kind of accepting that it's okay to to have suffered and to um have a story um and there's nothing to be ashamed of basically you know mm-hmm. that that not being normal was was shameful and now it's like no way like right right don't... because you know just i mean i don't know about you but most people i've met in recovery are just multi-layered and complex yeah. and multifaceted i always i've mentioned this quote often um by this priestess uh i think that's what she goes by no it's not she's like a minister a pastor anyway her name is nadia boltz weber and she's uh sober she's a sober pastor anyway she said this brilliant thing once on an on being podcast she said yeah if you don't um if you haven't had any like life experiences or i I don't really want to have coffee with you you know basically Mm like uh, you're not interesting to me <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, I mean that's it and it was like um demons I think was the word demons she said if you don't have any demons then I really just mm, you're, it's boring <laughs> yeah I mean it, and it happens all the time I mean there's this uh this woman that we're we're gonna hopefully work with for a, a workshop and she's a spoken word kind of hip-hop artist um and, you know, I heard her on another podcast and it was nothing to do with sobriety. It was about mental health and she works with, uh, within mental health. And so I just sent her a sort of a DM on Instagram saying, you know, I love your work. It's really inspirational. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Um, and she sort of messaged back going, oh, I just noticed your name. Um, I'm sober too. And it was just like that. Yes. Okay. I knew it. You know, it's just like brilliant people kind of making good choices so yeah I love I just I mean I love I love being part of the sober community I it completely lights me up um and makes me it's brought me back to my kind of values and because before I started drinking I was 
very kind of political. Um, I've always been concerned with other people. Um, and I lost all that, you know, for so many years. So, um, yeah, that's what kind of lights me up about it. I wanted to touch really quickly, Mandy, from your story, because your story speaks to me on so many different levels. And I, I think that having as a woman, I mean, I think you guys can, um, Mandy, you've just shared and Sandra, maybe you can identify as well. It's just like, we do want to put, think what is quote unquote normal or to be a quote unquote good mom, or what is it going to be to be an adult? Again, all of these are in quotation marks, right? And, and as we're trying to, we're just growing up and we're trying to figure that out. And I thought the whole time when I was doing that too, Mandy, before I was comfortable being a mom, you know, I wasn't ready for it. I didn't think nobody tells you how to do it, you know? And when I was having a really hard time after I had my son, um, I'd reached out to a friend and she didn't have a whole lot of compassion for me. She was kind of upset with me that I wasn't embracing motherhood. It stung so bad. I felt mm. so misunderstood by someone who was really close to me. I didn't know I had postpartum depression. You know, I didn't understand that at the time. Um, nobody did. So, but, but, but this, I, this ideal that we keep chasing or that I kept chasing, um, that I was just going to keep drink to drink drinking to be sophisticated to, mm. you know, I owned a wine bar. I was going to hang out with these people and they were customers and I knew winemakers and really romanticized it. But I think the thing that was driving it the whole time was this notion that um, I was going to figure it out. Right. I was eventually going to kind mm. of figure out how to drink and I never how to drink right and keep correct. it right. Yeah, I know. Right. And yeah. that and the whole illusion of being a balanced drinker for me that was what just kept kind of hanging in front of me, kind of the eye on the prize. I'm going to be a balance. That is the goal is to be a balanced drinker. Yeah. And when I quit and was thinking about going back to drinking, because I think that's what happens for women, um, uh, for many women, is that we we dabble a little bit at first because we're trying to figure it out. Like, oh, can I do this on my own? Can I go back to drinking? I've got this handled. But I remember my friend saying these things that were so important to me. And I just wanted to, I know I've shared it before. I wanted to share it again because I was so fixated on being a quote unquote balanced drinker that I kept drinking, you know? And my friend said, since you've removed alcohol from your life, you have a balanced life now. Mm. Why can't that be how you want to be balanced? It doesn't have to hinge on to be a balanced drinker. You remove it and now your life becomes more in balance. And when she said that, it was kind of like the heavens opened up a little bit. And it was like, that was, that made sense to me. That finally felt like something I could hear. You know what I mean? And then I could go, oh, my life is better when I'm not drinking. Everyone benefits. And it sounds like us like just kind of trying to attain that goal and trying it on for size, but we have to do all of that too, right, Mandy, to get to yeah. where you are right now. Like that's all part of it. And so thank yeah, you and for I think sharing was, all that you did. Oh, well, yeah. sorry, I went, I tried to keep it brief, but. <laughs> no, no, I just, it's, 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 a, it's, it's, it's what we do. It's our, uh, that, thank yeah. you for sharing it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think two things really um, happened in the UK as well. And I, I mean, I, I think in America too, is you had this kind of backlash to this ideal parenting, um, which was kind of honest parenting where, you know, and it was a lot sort of through Instagram and social media, it was just like, you know, all of a sudden mums were coming out and saying, actually, 
you know, I hate my kids today. Like parents hang out hard. Like I miss my friends. I, you know, I'm tired. Uh, and, and it was great and it was funny and, and it helped, you know, in a lot of ways. But a lot of that was to do with drinking too. And the whole kind of wine o'clock thing was just like, um, you know, my kids piss me off. I, I, I'm tired. Um, and all those things were very valid. But so I'm going to sit down and, and it's my time now and mummy wine time and wine o'clock. And so many women bought into that and I certainly did and it felt kind of like you know like a lifeline like okay everyone else is doing it everyone else is kind of getting the kids to bed and then sinking down on the sofa and having a glass of wine so it's okay um and it's still very prevalent in the UK and I know it is in the US and there's a whole marketing world uh, connected to kind of mummy drinking um which we're trying to you know trying to talk to the influencers a little bit and trying to open their eyes it's really hard but um just it's not i'm not judging people uh, i don't you know if if you have a glass of wine and that's it and and that makes you feel good then great but you've got to have a caveat and say if you're struggling with this or if this is making you feel bad then please go and get help you know uh, and a lot of the people that are kind of big mummy instagram influencers don't do that in the uk mm. but you know that was just you know there was that thing of like right it wasn't about perfect pictures anymore it was like this is hard and that built a community but at the same time it was like and our um solution to this is to drink and right. that's you know i mean most of the people that listen to our podcast they're in that position where it's like um I just did what everyone else did and everyone else was making it look fun and glamorous. And I thought it was okay. And now I can't stop. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, so, well, yeah. Mandy, what was the impetus for your podcast for creating it? I mean, you, you created that in sobriety, obviously, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and tell, tell our listeners what your, I mean, we're going to say it at the intro, but tell our listeners what their podcast is. So it's called uh, love sober for the sober and sober curious um so i set it up with my friend kate my kind of sober bff um in may last year um when i kind of when my mental health got really bad again and i needed to stop drinking again and i kind of went back to i read annie grace's book and i and i was looking through other things and i found holly and um sort of hip sobriety and that really kind of lit me up in terms of that you know it being a rebellious choice to give up drinking and that you know that fed me as a kind of as my personality it's like yes like you know beautiful hot girls with tattoos not, not that I'm, I'm that person <laughs> you know but you know making, making sobriety it, look good yeah yeah and so I was like yeah that's kind of that's where I can see myself, not like them at all, but you know, um, and those books and I read Blackout and I really um, sort of um, felt association with that book. And so I started listening to home podcasts uh, and then I was listening to edit with Jolene and Aidan, um, which really helped me because I, I kind of, 
do associate myself as a gray area drinker like I, I that made a lot of sense to me at that point not when I uh, was in kind of the the worst part of my drinking but at that point where I needed to stop I needed you know it wasn't that bad or whatever um that made a lot of sense to me and I just thought these are great but it's not like the English sort of culture is different and and yeah I just wanted to have that conversation sort of take that model but for with British voices and and talk about kind of pub culture and and the 90s and our experiences of kind of growing up in that time talk about motherhood talk about mental health um because mental health is talked about a lot in the UK now which is amazing um but there's still there isn't that conversation happening like if you're depressed or anxious don't drink alcohol you know so I wanted to try and and have that conversation too and just make it not scary um and the kind of feedback we get is um people take us on dog dog walks you know and it's <laughs> like that just that sort of comforting kind of sit down and have a cup of tea and kind of catch up with us and that kind of friendly vibe and and so yeah that was the intention um which you is cre- you I mean, created what you wanted what you needed yeah which is always yeah. such a good thing when you're creating yeah and so when we do meetups and stuff like that you know it's like I kind of pick all the people I, I want to hang out uh-huh. with you know so yeah it's making sobriety work for me you know I love it. I love it. Well, that's how you're creating a life. You know, we talk about creating a life you no longer want to escape from, right? You start creating a life that you love. Absolutely. And for people in this, in the recovery community, it takes all, we see it, right? It's all different shapes and sizes and and, and, um, outlets that people like, what is your passion? Oh, I love sewing. Sewing's my thing. So I'm going to, um, you know, become a professional seamstress. Oh, I love making art. I love cooking. You know, we have so many friends that have taken their passions and then just really blown them up, which is so really beautiful to see. Really beautiful. Well, when I met you down and she recovers, I bumped into you the morning before my talk. And I think, I think at my talk, um, at she recovers, um, we were twinning in our outfits. Is that correct? Mindy? We were, we, we yes. took a picture. We documented that, <laughs> <laughs> but I just love that you came all the way over. You must've clearly had the support of your husband and, um, you came all the way over to the United States from France. And then you just were like, a sh- you, you got to just like go through the whole event and met so many people and you were such a bright light. I just loved it. I loved your energy. I love meeting you. You just seem so genuine. So oh, I'm I, so grateful yeah. that I met you. I know Sandra, you. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, and you had probably made a lot of, a lot of friends with Instagrammers and, and, um, others that were probably there. Correct. Mandy that were at yeah. in LA. Yeah. I mean, um, so what happened with She Recovers is when I set up my Instagram, um, Noelle, um, who, so you're Austin girls, basically. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. so no, I don't know. I mean, I'm so thankful, but she, Noelle set up a group uh, with me, Jen, um, Deanna, um, Jill, and uh, Kristen and a few other people that that aren't in Austin 
uh, and me. <laughs> um, I don't really know why. I think she just, I, she just really liked me and just liked my what I was saying. And I, she just picked people that she she really liked and put us into this little uh, private group. Um, and that was kind of my support group, you know, when I stopped drinking the second time. Um, and we talk every day and, you know, like really sort of deep conversations with this random group of women in America and me. <laughs> um, and Jen, James, uh, we were talking about coaching and I was like, that was kind of my plan when I, when I quit teaching the first time I was going to go into coaching and then I kind of got ill with my mental health again and I was sort of lost my confidence. And so she told me that she was going to do this She Recovers um, coaching. So I looked into that and I was like, oh, that's like really up my street and exciting. Um, and then the conference came round, uh, and I sort of was like, oh my God, I really want to go. I said to my <laughs> husband, like, please, I go. And he's like, let's, that's, you know, go. And I was like, okay. And then I looked at the prices and I was like, oh, I'm not going. Um, <laughs> and then Kristen, uh, said to me that they'd put on some uh you could apply for a uh, scholarship place as yeah. a scholarship so I was like okay well you know why not and I'd already kind of contacted Dawn a, a couple of times to be like if you want me to do anything at all you know if I can help in any way um please just let me know you know any organizing if you just like I just love to come um but France is really far away um and so I did the application and I didn't get a place the first time round. So she's like, okay, fine. Uh, and then I did the second time round and I was just like, oh my goodness. Um, so yeah, so then I, um, I booked my flights. I managed to get really good uh, flights and um, I was supposed to be sharing a room with someone. And then about a week before, uh, she pulled out and not only did she pull out, but she canceled the room. <laughs> so oh. I was like, Oh, okay. I remember this. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you put was, up one post and it seemed like yeah, you, you had amazing, lots yeah. of support. So I put up a post and I was like, um, I'm coming, but I don't have anywhere to stay. And I got loads and loads of responses. Um, and mm. actually uh, a friend of mine that I'd met through a coaching day, um, in club soda she has a kind of she did um recovery elevator she's in that group um and she got me in contact with brandy who does sober as shit i think her podcast is don't know her at all but she was like really sweet and was like yeah you know don't worry come and sleep on my floor we'll sort it out so i was like okay so i was like just gonna go and sleep on this woman i don't know's floor um, and I met her in the, when I arrived in the morning and, um, and I went to the Hollywood sign with her and Penny, um, recovery Buddha, who I didn't know at all. Um, so I was having this brilliant time with complete random people, still didn't have a room. Um, and then she was like, um, I don't, I'm really sorry, but I forgot my blow up bed. And I was like, okay, because I have massive sleep anxiety issues anyway. And she was like, but you can share my bed. And I was like, mm, okay, <laughs> thank you. Um, and then wow. I was kind of crossing over the foyer and, um, and in walked like Deanna, Jen, Noelle, Jill, 
and we all screamed and did lots of jumping up and down. Um, and then like, um, we were all sat by the pool and I was with Laura Ward and Laurie. I mean, I just kind of hung out with anyone and everyone. I was just really excited <laughs> the whole time. And someone said, why don't you see if they've got any rooms? You know, maybe they've, some rooms have come up. So I looked on like booking and they did, they had rooms and they were cheaper actually than originally. And so finally I got myself, I had my own room and I literally like jumped on the bed. <laughs> like, oh, this is so great. And yeah, I loved it. It's probably one of my happiest ever times in, in my life. I just, I loved it. Like I love Jen and Deanna and, and Noel and Jill. They've been so kind to me. And um, I had loads of transformative moments and, and yeah. met you guys and the silent disco and, and meeting Natalie. And it was just like, this is insane. And it was like, I, I got a do over because I was always like one day, you know, my life was one day ahead. So it's just like, I, I've come back in time. And <laughs> I'm having the best time. <laughs> so yeah. Oh it was, it man, was it, it, it was a brilliant weekend. It was like a magical. Yeah. I know not forever. I know everybody has different experiences, but my experience, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, and I'm, you know, and I met Taryn and Dawn, and really connected with them. And I'm, I'm doing the She Recovers coaching program now. So. Oh, you are okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So that's exciting. Well, yeah. I noticed that you were doing, you're doing some work with Jolene Park. Is that true? Or so yeah, I know yeah, that yeah. she offers a different coaching program. I don't know if you were one of her coaches as well. No. So I have thought about it. I might do it um, because I think the kind of gray area is, is really interesting for British drinkers. Uh -huh. um, and that kind of, because of how sort of integrated alcohol is into British life. Um, but we, uh, she was over in London and she sent me a message sort of saying, oh, you know, I'd like to meet some sober women. So I arranged a meetup with her and Claire Pooley, who wrote um, The Sober Diaries, which is a, a great book if you haven't read it. Um, and me and there was um, the girls who do the sober cards. Uh, we are in good company. And we had a really nice evening together. And Jolene was like, I, you know, love working in the UK. So she said that she was coming back. Um, so me and Kate, who I do the podcast with, sort of jumped on the opportunity. And so we're doing a, an afternoon workshop with her. Got it. So, oh, fun. Great. Yeah. So she's going to lead kind of, it's, the series is called uh, Love Sober Life. So there's Love Sober Life, Nourish Yourself which is with her. So it's a lot to do with, you know, food, nutrition, um, wellness strategies, yoga, breathing, those sort of things, her kind of key skills. Yeah. And then we've got one which is called um, Love Sober Life, Create Yourself Sober, which is with a, um, an artist who's going to be doing work in terms of um, looking at your defining your sober self so looking at she does a lot of collage work so she takes sort of photos of you and then she overlooks she puts them over with different backgrounds and it's about sort of seeing yourself and your representation so I thought that was quite a nice thing to do within sobriety 
And the third one uh, is called um, Love Sober Life. Uh, speak for yourself sober and that's with this um, poet who does a lot of spoken word and she does a lot of work uh, to do with language and and what words mean so for example if you take the color red you know you can go to anger or you can go to love uh, and looking at how we use emotions with words and stuff like that is there so, a yeah, place so on the internet where people can um sign up for these events yeah so um they can we have a website which is lovesober.com um so people can go on there and they can sign up for the newsletter uh and the first event with jolene is up at the moment because that's in april april the 13th um and if not they can connect with me on instagram we've got like love sober podcast and mandy underscore love sober or Kate is love dot sober on Instagram. Got it. So the event with Jolene is on April thirteenth in Brighton. Yeah, and it's we'll in Brighton, so it's about an hour south of London. Okay, south. Um, is Brighton yeah. where Nick Cave lives? It is. Yeah. Curious, <laughs> because yeah. when in his uh, his film that I love, that he did his docudrama, I love when he shows Brighton in there, and it's just. Oh uh, so- yeah, it's a it's a great place. It's very creative. Um, and that so Kate and I we met on Soberistas which is this forum and um and she's a really great it's um it's a website it's a website website. and then it's like a it's like a chat forum right yeah because I've been on it before yeah sorry Mandy I haven't you've mentioned you mentioned it before I just our listeners if they're looking for things I just want to make sure um yes uh, soberistas.com and yeah and so you've got kind of the main page where people blog or you've got groups um for different um so there's like an over 60s group there's a young mum group there's okay um people that have been sober for more than a year and then they do lots of meetups nice around the world and stuff like that um it's mostly women i'd say 95 percent women um and um, yeah, so Kate is a, a very good writer and um, I really, really liked her blogs um, and I didn't know her at all, but um, I, I think you said this the other day that you stalked Sandra on yeah, uh, social yeah, media. We do yeah, we I, I stalked Kate. Uh, I highly recommend and, um, <laughs> Yeah, and she'd, um, she'd written a post about going to see Kate Tempest. I don't know if you know her, she's a, a British um, poet. Hmm. who's amazing and um and I really love her work so I was like oh you know kind of tick loads of boxes and then we got chats so I sent her a kind of we started talking on private message and then we realized that we both lived in Brighton um at the same time and basically probably drank in the same pub but didn't know <laughs> each funny. other right um <laughs> and loads of and actually she knows people in the town that I grew up, loads of kind of interconnections. Her best friend's a folk singer that, you know, I know people that have worked with her, loads of little interconnections. And um, yeah, and so that's, uh, so then when I had the podcast idea, I was like, um, would you please <laughs> do a podcast with me, please? Let's we'll um, court for a little while. We'll date for a little while. And then let's, exactly. let's do a podcast. I think that's how it works. Right, Sandra? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. Phone dates. Yes. Phone dates and, right, right. Some yeah. love letters, some real snail mail a little bit. Yeah. And then, okay, let's do this. Let's, let's join forces. 
Oh, yeah, I and it's well, been you great. Can... I mean, it's it's it shared like both ways. I mean, because she was writing um, a book, um, which she shelved for a while because she just didn't feel like it was the right time. She'd had a couple of publishing offers, but it just, it, for whatever reason, she decided not to go for it at that moment. And so I sort of shared the podcast idea with her and then she was like look I've been working on this book why don't we do it together so we're writing that collaboratively um, which is very exciting. Can you say what it's going to be about or is um, it under wraps? No it's a it's kind of it's a memoir driven self-help okay. I suppose you could say so it's kind of us telling our stories um, and you know what helped us uh, stop drinking and then you know Kate's a coach um, I'm training to be a coach so there's sort of coaching exercises kind of journaling exercises as well so um, yeah um, I love it yeah so when did you guys how long have you guys been working on that? I mean I know you said she had shelved it but it, what when when did you guys get going on it again um, midway through well, I guess sort of just after we started doing the podcast, really. Oh, so yeah, okay. sort of in the summer, I was working on it through the summer. I wrote some stuff for it when I was on the plane to LA. Nice. Um, and we started sending it out to publishers and stuff just before Christmas. Right. Yeah. So we've, I, I can't say anything. Okay. <laughs> that's right. Well, I'm just so curious it, about the creative process of pitching a book too, because I've gone to lectures and I've gone to some workshops where they tell you how to do it. And I have some sample pitches and I used to think that writing was going to be my thing, but it causes me such anxiety that it's not, but I, I love because it's like, you're bringing something, you're birthing something. Yeah. And, you know, it's like this it's, gestation um, period and it creating it and doing all the work that leads up to it. So. Yeah, it's very, I mean, it, it's not for the faint hearted. That's for sure. I mean, <laughs> right. we, We've had um, sort of three positive, well, I'll say a little bit more now. So we've had kind of three positive um, publishers interested um, and get, and interestingly, they've kind of all taken the book in different directions. So you kind of like, okay, yeah. And then you're like, well, one wants to make it very much more kind of coachy, self-helpy. And the other one really wants it more to be, you know, our stories and then the other ones kind of like well it doesn't really mind but we would have to put some money into it mm -hmm. and so you're kind of getting pulled in all these different directions and and actually one thing that's really nice co-writing a book is you have the other person to go hang on a second hang on a second yeah we didn't want to do that you know and and drawing back you know ourselves back into kind of that creative process and going actually what do we want to do and and it doesn't matter, like we don't have to say yes and just kind of trust the process. And if it doesn't get published this year, you know, maybe we'll self-publish. Who knows? But yeah, it's, it's really nice. I, I couldn't have done it on my own. There's no way. I wouldn't have had the confidence. Um, but Kate's, her background's in journalism. So that's, you know, really I helpful. <laughs> I think collaborating with another person, like collaborating with Sandra makes everything seem doable. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. It gives, it definitely gives me a lot more confidence with things, um, with things that feel really big, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Um, have, I don't know if you've listened, but maybe, or you could listen if you're interested. Uh, Jackie Manti was on our podcast on episode 91 and she self-published her book. Mm. And, um, she, she, it was, it's such a beautiful book, isn't it, Sandra? Like, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. stylistically too. It's really, really gorgeous. And it's a book called gone country. Um, and, uh, yeah. And she hosts a podcast as well <laughs> with her husband. What's the name? I forgot the name of her podcast. Shoot. Anyhow, sorry, Jackie. Yeah, I have I'll, to. I'll, I'll Google it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's episode ninety-one, and she was just fascinating and a really great writer. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, we'll, we'll see. I, I kind of, I do feel quite. Um, well, we we had one that was really, really interested, and then they've they've shelved kind of interest for six months, and it absolutely broke my heart. Mm. Um, so I think once you've done that once, you get a little bit more distance on it they're like, like they haven't said no but they just said they're not ready yet so um yeah I think once you you, you get a bit of distance off of that so everything that's happened after since it's like okay you know trying to be cool about it it's fine <laughs> right yeah oh. well and you know what I find interesting too is just um I know that our cultures aren't that different and we share a lot of similarities, but they, but they are different too. Like talking about the pub culture and the Mm. European, you know, and, and, you know, wine and, and drinking definitely has a different um, feel in a European culture than it does in American culture. So I don't know. I think that would be, especially, I guess if you, I mean, I don't know how you could write it any other way than from your own experience, but I just love how, um, there's just so many options now for, for, for people in wherever they are on the map now. Am I making sense? Yeah, (laughs) no. And, and I find that really interesting, um, about doing anything creatively that you just, you can't really predict who, who it will capture. You know, we kind of were like, right, if we help one person in right. England that's like us, um, and we look at the sort of statistics, it's like, you know, there's loads of people that listen in the States and in Australia, and, you know, there's even a couple in, in Asia, and it's like, oh, that's so surprising. And, and lots of men, you know, and it's like, I mean, it's so kind of about us being mums and about kind of, women you know it's pretty sure you can only share right you can only share your own experience but yeah but um, it seems you know to interest all all sorts of people I mean so and I I mean I I think that's the the thing I love most about kind of sobriety is the sharing of stories and I yeah I could listen to anyone's story really I mean it's it's always fascinating so I think that's why it's kind of such a growth interest because it is moving away from just you know stories about addiction to more stories about life you know about life experiences and how intertwined it is with so many different parts of the kind of human experience um but yeah I mean I've got friends that have no interest whatsoever uh in stopping drinking but they find you know the subject of kind of wellness and self-care and mental health interesting so it's like, all right <laughs> okay yeah. it's it um and uh, and that's great I mean what I had a kind of slight 
falling out with someone on Instagram about kind of language and about how people talk about, um, you know, alcoholism or what you call yourself. And, and I get it. I get why people get um, protective over certain pieces of language um, because that's fueled by their own experiences. But for me, it's just like whatever shape, form, way it comes out you know it might help someone somewhere so you know the more voices the more diverse the more kind of uh, graded and shaded uh, we get to having these conversations the better you know right I think you're exactly um, right about that yeah sorry and you get to do so and you get to say what your drinking is like Mandy or was like that's your story right yeah that's the language you. you get to use that is yours and mine and Sandra's, and we all get to do that. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. So there's still so much more to cover. I don't, we're not, we can't have a three hour interview. I know, but <laughs> I know that you are um, channeling creativity. I know that you are making beautiful malas. I know that your grandmother was an artist. I know you've shared some beautiful art with me that she's made. Um, mm. I love the WhatsApp app to have conversations with you. Um, and with Amanda Grace over in Ireland. Like, I love that app. It's so fantastic so that we can leave each other messages um, and send pictures and stuff. And so I know that creativity, you're creating so much in your life. And I'm so glad you're sober. I'm so glad you agreed to come on the podcast. I'm just really oh, grateful. Thank you. Um, but we probably have to wrap it up a little bit. So uh, we wanted to, is that okay with you, Sandra? Are you having Yeah, no, no. I love our conversation. Oh, I do too. Um, but we, we share at the end of our podcast, uh, three things for a sobriety toolbox so that a listener could, um, you know, probably take a little tool with them if they, if they need a little help, either in the creativity department or in the sobriety department. Do you have three things that you want to share with our listeners? I do. Yes. Yeah. Um, well uh, it's quite an obvious one but uh, for me uh, podcasts uh, are something that um, are kind are, are really quite key to me um, I listen to all sorts uh, I listen to them when I'm doing housework uh, they make me feel less kind of um, closed in my life that I can kind of reach knowledge very easily um they make me feel less alone because i'm hearing voices it's not like uh you know reading words i mean i love to read but there's something so intimate about having a conversation that just really strikes me so um and i often kind of go for a walk and i'll just listen to an episode or i i have a few um that i really love um the Guilty Feminist is a kind of um, comedy um, show about women and, and feminism. Uh, so it's very funny, um, but also very hard hitting and lots of kind of real issues for, for women in, in society today. So I listen to that one a lot. Um, I listen to sobriety podcasts like yours. Um, there's a lot of mental health ones in the UK that I like um, I like listening to serial or um, kind of yeah real life stories of kind of investigative journalism there was a good one I listened to about Obama's um, 
young years, which was really good. Mm. Um, so I just find ones all the time and they can just, um, I really like happier Gretchen Rubin's one, mm-hmm. which is actually practical kind of help. Um, she does like life hacks. And when I was really depressed, those were really fundamental to kind of helping me get back on my feet. You know, just little things like making your bed, you know, when you get up in the morning and making sure you have a nice space to come back to or moisturizing, you know, those little things which I, I, I'd lost kind of um, the ability to look after myself in that way. Um, so, she, yeah. Gretchen Rubin really helped me um, um, before I quit drinking. I was reading mm. her books, The Happiness Project. And then in early sobriety, I really needed her podcast too, to help me with some simple, like you said, uh, I used to do a thing called a power hour of hers. So yeah, I think, I think, um, she's great with with some tools for sure that's a great one yeah i yeah um she was i mean i actually don't listen to it anymore um because like there's so many now but um, i don't either but that's what i'm saying early sobriety was yeah it was so yeah super super helpful um so that's number one uh number two um is uh sort of the sober sisterhood um friendships within sobriety um you know i've i have the most amazing conversations with people about the most real and i've always been someone that's super honest and sort of worn my heart on my sleeve and to be able to have friends where i can you know i mean we were sat in a cafe in london you know we were having a meet up there's about 15 people and i was sat with you know two of my girlfriends talking about rape trauma and books to read and it wasn't sad and we weren't like you know really upset we were just like oh yeah I just read this book about kind of resilience it's really good and just having this conversation and that support of you know people actually sort of saying how are you uh, and and they really kind of give a shit and they give you time um, is incredible and it's extremely fulfilling for me as a person um, so yeah, this kind of sober communities, wherever they are, there's so many now. I mean, me, I, I don't go to AA, but I uh, interact online with uh, Soberistas, Club Soda, which is one in the UK, um, She Recovers, and then Instagram, those are my kind of different mm. feeds. Right. Um, and the last one is uh, The Sea. Uh, I live mm-hmm. by the sea. Uh, my grandma, when I was little, she was actually, um, we mentioned her before, she was a painter. She had um, kind of severe mental health issues when she was younger. Um, and she was Australian, Tasmanian, actually. Um, so she grew up by the sea and and then she moved to Cornwall, which is by the sea in the UK. Uh, and so we used to go and stay there every summer. And I just have real kind of memories of, I mean, I always kind of had sad moments when I was a kid and I have real memories of kind of going and swimming in the sea and just crying, sort of shouting my kind of anger or fears or, and I used to write poems about the sea all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I chose to go to Brighton to do my studies, which is by the sea. And then, you know, luckily, thankfully, I feel massively grateful that, you know, we live by the sea. Uh, so I can see the sea right now. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, and I just, that connection with nature is that awe, you know, the, the feeling of awe, something that's something I've really learned from Kate, who I do the, the podcast with, because I'm not at all spiritual. I've never 
been to church i don't you know follow a god um and um she sort of taught me that you can have that but through other other ways and that awe of kind of like nature, nature. yeah beauty your church. Yeah. yeah so yeah that kate sounds like a good one yeah oh she's amazing <laughs> she's gonna come to she recovers the next one okay oh excellent yeah. i look forward yeah. to meeting her no she's a she's an amazing person i'm very very she's you know definitely in my toolbox that's for sure (laughs) (laughs) well great well they can hear the both of you our listeners can hear the both of you on the love sober podcast do you have a regular do you guys do seasons or weekly or how do you guys Um, do it well yeah i mean we we decided right at the beginning that we would do seasons just so we can have a break at some point um and we, I mean, we, we, we might have two or three weeks off occasionally, but mostly it's weekly. I mean, we've done 25, I think, uh, it comes out on a Friday. Um, we're starting to do more interviews with people at the beginning. It was very much just the two of us. Um, and now we try to do, um, maybe sort of a sober inspirational person, and then it will be us and then we'll do kind of a sober story from someone within the community because I think as much as someone who's got a book or has had kind of success is highly like massively inspirational uh, as inspirational is just you know your the people you walk past in the street and you wouldn't know that yeah. they've had this amazing journey and um, and I think that really helps people to kind of relate and go oh wow you know she's just she's just like me you know right yeah so sure. we tried to do a bit of a bit of both well thank you so much mandy this has been really a great conversation oh my pleasure thank you yeah you're um you are you're the, you're making sobriety look good you, know? <laughs> you are you are and by being so candid and open and um, you know, our listeners benefit from that and that's why they tune in every week. And I'm just really grateful that our paths crossed at She Recovers. So that I oh, me too. Better. I was so nervous. I was like, shall I go and say hello? Shall I not? Because I, <laughs> I hadn't, like, I just, because I had, I didn't know about your podcast before you had had Deanna and Jen on uh-huh. and, and I'd listened to it because they were on. And then I was like, oh, I like this. And oh, you know, creativity and women and, and kind of captured me at that point um and here and yeah and then I saw you and I was like (laughs) oh and then we had the love connection like we do right (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then I yeah I was I was a little bit awestruck by the whole thing but I yeah same (laughs) well have a beautiful rest of your day Mandy thank you so much yeah no thank you and thank you Sondra as well both of you guys I will see you and speak to you soon, I hope. Bye. Bye, Mandy. Bye. Bye. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.